Section 21 of the Algonquin Legends of New England. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cooper Leith. The Algonquin Legends of New England, or Myths and Folklore of the Micmac, Passamaquoddy, and Penobscot Tribes by Charles Godfrey Leland. Section 21. Of the Wolverine and the Wolves, or How Master Locks Froze to Death. Passamaquoddy. Of old times, it came to pass that Master Locks, the Wolverine, or Indian Devil, he who was slain many times, and as often rose from the dead, found himself deeply down in luck for he was crossing a wide and dismal heath in winter-time, being but poorly provided in any way for travel. The wind blew like knives, the snow fell, sleet, frost, hail, and rain seemed to come altogether in bad company, and still Lox was not happy, although he had no blanket or fur coat beyond his own. Yet. This evil-minded, jolly companion with every vice had one virtue, and that was that of all the beasts of the forest, or devils in Pulamkeek, he was the hardest-hearted, toughest, and most unconquerable, being ever the first to fight and the last to give in, which even then he did not, never having done it, and never intending to. Whence it happened, that he was greatly admired, and made much of by all the black-guardedly beasts of the backwoods, wherein they differed but little from many among men. Now, as of all rowdies and rascals, the wolves are the worst. We may well believe that it was with great joy Lox heard as the darkness was coming on a long, sad howl, far away, betoking the coming of a pack of these pleasant people to which he raised his own voice, in the wolf-tongue, for he was learned in many languages, and soon was surrounded by some fifteen or sixteen lupine land-loafers, who danced, rolling over, barking and biting one another, all for the very joy at meeting with him. And the elder, he who was captain, or the Segama, footnote one, Segama, Sagamore, a chief, the word corrupted into Satyam, end of footnote one, said, Peradventure, thou wilt encamp with us this night, for it is ill for a gentleman to be alone where he might encounter vulgar fellows. And Lox thanked him as if he were doing him a favor, and accepted the best of their dried meat, and took the highest place by their fire, and smoked the chief's choicest temoe out of his best pipe, and all that with such vast condensation that the wolves grinned with delight, and when they laid them down to sleep, he that was the eldest, or the Segama, bade the younger cover their guest locks over very carefully. Now the tail of the wolf has broad-spreading shaggy hair, and locks, being sleepy, really thought it was a fur blanket that they spread. And though the night was cold enough to crack the rocks, he threw the covering off. 
twice he did this, and the chief who looked after him with all the rest admired him greatly, because he cared so little for the cold or for their care. And having eaten after they arose, when in the morning they would wend away, the wolf chief said unto Lox, Uncle, thou hast yet three days' hard travel before thee in a land where there is neither home, house, nor hearth, and it will be ill camping without a fire. Now, I have a most approved and excellent charm, or spell, by which I can give thee three fires, but no more. Yet will they suffice, one for each night, until thou gettest to thy journey's end. And this is the manner whereof, that thou shalt take unto thee dried wood, even such as men commonly burn, and thou shalt put them together, even as boys build little wigwams for sport. And then thou shalt jump over it. And truly, uncle, this is an approved and excellent charm of ripe antiquity, kept as a solemn secret among the wolves, and thou art the first not of our holy nation to whom it hath been given. So they parted. Now Lox trudged on, and as he went westward kept thinking of this great secret, of the pious and peculiar people, and wondering if it were even as the wolf said, or only a deceit, for however kindly he was treated by people, he always suspected that they mocked him to scorn, or were preparing to do so. For as he ever did this thing himself to every condition of mankind or beasts, he constantly awaited it to be done to him. And being curious withal, and anxious to see some new thing, he had not walked half an hour ere he said, Tush, let me try it. Yea, and I will. So building up the sticks, he jumped over them, and at once they caught fire and blazed up. And it came to pass even as the wolf had prophesied. Now, having solaced himself by the heat, Lox went on, and anon it grew cold again and he began to think how pleasant it was to be warm, and being like most evil people, wanting in a corner of wisdom, he at once put the sticks together again, and jumped over them, and as before there rose a blaze, and he was happy. And this was the second fire, and he had still three cold nights before him, before he could reach his home. And yet this wolverine, who was so wise in all wickedness, and witty in evil-doing, had not walked into the afternoon before he began to think of the third fire. Truly, he said to himself, who knows but the weather may take a turn to a thaw and give us a warm night. Hum! Ha! Methinks by the look of the clouds the wind will soon be southwesterly. Have I not heard my grandmother say that such a color, even the red, meant something? I forget what, but it might be a warm change. Luck be on me, I will risk the odds. And saying this, he set up the sticks again. And this was the last fire, though it was not even the first night. And when he came after dark to the first camping place, 
it grew cold in earnest. Howbeit, Locke's thinking that what was good for once must be good forever made him his little pile of sticks and jumped over them. It was of no avail. Finally, when he had jumped twenty or thirty times more, there arose a little smoke, and having his heart cheered by this, he kept on jumping. Now it is said that there can be no smoke without fire, but this time it went not beyond smoke. Then Lox jumped again, and this time the Indian devil came up within him, and he swore by it that he would jump till it blazed or burst. So he kept on, and yet there came no comfort, not even a spark. And being at last a wary, he fell down in a swoon, and so froze to death. And so the devil was dead, and that was the last of him for that turn. But I think he got over it, for he has been seen many a time since. End note. In two stories, Locks, once as the Lusavier, is intimate with the wolves. Loki was the father of the wolves. Loki is fire. Here, Lox dies for want of fire. Since I wrote the foregoing, Mrs. W. Wallace Brown has learned that Lox is definitely the king or chief of the wolves, and that many Indians deny that he is really an animal at all, though he assumes the forms of certain animals. He is a spirit and the mischief-maker. It will be admitted that this brings the locks much nearer to Loki. It is said that when Glooskap left the world, as he took away with him the kings of all the animals, locks went with him as the king of the wolves. This is an identification of him with Malsum, the wolf himself. End of section 21 Recording by Cooper Leith how Master Lox played a trick on Mrs. Bear, who lost her eyesight and had her eyes opened. Micmac. Don't live with mean people if you can help it. They will turn your greatest sorrow to their own account if they can. Bad habit gets to be devilish second nature. One dead herring is not much, but one by one you make such a heap of them as to stink out a whole village as it happened to old Mrs. Bear, who was easy as regarded people, and thought well of everybody, and trusted all. So she took in for a housemaid another old woman. Their wigwam was all by itself, and the next neighbor was so far off that he was not their neighbor at all, but that of some other folks. One night the old woman made up a fire and lay down, and went to sleep Indian fashion, wit kasujik, heads and points, so that both could lie with their back to the fire. Now, while they were sound asleep, Lox, the wolverine or Indian devil, came prowling round. Some people say it was Hespuns, the raccoon, and it is a fact that Master Coon can play a very close game of deviltry on his own account. However, this time it must have been locks, as you can see by the tracks. While they were both sound asleep, locks looked in, 
he found the old women asleep, heads and points, and at once saw his way to a neat little bit of mischief. So going into the woods, he cut a fine long sapling pole, Oibagas, and poked one end of it into the fire till it was a burning coal. Then he touched the soles of Mrs. Bear, and she waking cried out to the other, Take care, you are burning me, which the other denied like a thunderclap. Then Master Lox carefully applied the end of the hot pole to the feet of the other woman. First, she dreamed that she was walking on hot sand and roasting rocks in summertime, and then that the Mohawks were cooking her at the death fire, and then she woke up, and seeing where she was, began to blame Mrs. Bear for it all, just as if she were a Mohawk. Ah, yes, well, Master Locke, seeing them fighting in a great rage, burst out laughing, so they actually burst himself and fell down dead with delight. It was a regular side-splitter when my grandfather said that. We always laughed. In the morning, when the women came out, there lay a dead devil at the door. He must indeed have looked like a raccoon at this time, but whatever he was, they took him, skinned him, and dressed him for breakfast. Then the kettle was hung, and the water boiled, and they popped him in. But as soon as it began to scald, he began to come to life. In a minute he was altogether again alive and well, and with one good leap went clear of the kettle. Rushing out of the lodge, he grabbed his skin, which hung on a bush outside, put it on, and in ten seconds was safe in the greenwood. He just saved himself with a whole skin. Now Master Lox had precious little time, you will say, to do any more mischief, between his coming to life and running away. Yet, short as the allowance was, he made a great deal of it. For even while jumping out, his wits for wickedness came to him, and he just kicked the edge of the pot, so that it spilled all the scalding water into the fire, and threw up the ashes with a great splutter. They flew into the eyes of Dam Bear and blinded her. Now this was hard on the old lady. She could not go out hunting, or set traps, or fish any more. And her partner, being mean, kept all the nice morsels for herself. Mrs. Bear only got the leanest and poorest of the meat, though there was plenty of the best. As my grandfather used to say, Mrs. Bear might have fared better if she had used her eyes earlier. One day, when she was sitting alone in the wigwam, Mrs. Bear began to remember all she had ever heard about eyes, and it came into her head that sometimes they were closed up in such a way that clever folk could cut them open again. So she got her knife and sharpened it and carefully cutting a little, saw the light of day. Then she was glad indeed, and with a little more cutting found that she could see as well as ever. And as good luck does not come single, the very first thing she beheld was an abundance of beautiful fat venison, fish, and maple sugar hung up over her head.
Dame Bear said nothing about having recovered her eyesight. She watched all the cooking going on, and saw the daintiest dinner, which all went into one platter, and a very poor lot of bones and scraps placed in another. Then, when she was called to eat, she simply said to the other woman, who kept the best, Well, you have done well for yourself. The other saw that Mrs. Bear had recovered her sight. She was frightened, for Dam Bear was by far the better man of the two. So she cried out, Bless me, what a mistake I've made. Why, I gave you the wrong dish. You know, my dear sister, that I always give you the best because you are blind. My grandfather said that after this, Mrs. Bear kept her eyes open on people in two ways. And it always made us laugh, that did. End note. The spirit of mischief in these stories is sometimes Locks the wolverine, at others the raccoon or the badger. Their adventures are interchangeable, but the character is always the same, and it is much like that of Loki. Now Loki is fire, and it may be observed in this legend that the wolverine or raccoon comes to life when thrown into scalding water, and that in another narrative Lox dies for want of fire. In another he is pricked by thorns and stung by ants. We must, says C. F. Keary, in his Mythology of the Aedis, admit that the constant appearance of thorn hedges, pricking with a thorn sleep, Lox's thorns are his bed, in German and Norse legends, is a mythical way of expressing the idea of the funeral fire. The first thing the Lox raccoon does in this tale on coming to life is to upset a pot into the ashes, for mischief's sake, and the very first exploit of the magic deer made by the evil spirits and sorcerers in the Kelvala, runes 13, is thus set forth. Then the Hisi stag went bounding, bounding to the land of Poja, till he reached the fields of Lapland, passing there before a cabin. Goate, with a single kick while running, he upset the boiling kettle, so that all the meat went rolling, rolling, ruined in the ashes, and the soup upon the hearthstone. This is, in both cases, the very first act of an animal created and living only for mischief on coming to a magic or artificial life. The legends of Finland and Lapland are as important as the Norse to explain the origin of our Indian mythology. End of section 21. Recording by Cooper Leith.